This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us today. I am glad you are here for our continued discussion on how to create a just society right where you are. Today, we are talking about an answer to the homeless problem. Uh, homelessness is rampant. It's everywhere and all countries, uh, and especially becoming more rampant in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. Uh, everywhere you go, especially on the main thoroughfares, is tent cities and junky RVs everywhere. Well, what's the answer to homelessness? Because it only seems to be getting worse the more that the government and agencies seem to deal with it. So today we're addressing what is often called the homeless crisis. Now, as we get into that, we have to ask ourselves what constitutes a crisis and at what benchmark is it no longer a crisis? In my hometown of Portland, Oregon, you see these tents and junky RVs everywhere. Now, I want to be clear, despite what the national media, how it portrays Portland, that Portland is still a beautiful city, and you can walk through the neighborhoods of Portland and enjoy a good evening or morning walk. However, it is on those main thoroughfares that you see the evidence of homelessness and drugs. Now, the governor of Oregon is calling this a crisis. There are many ideas uh, and approaches to homelessness, but I want to offer you a common sense and balanced approach to homelessness because the current approaches in society around homelessness are way out of balance. So how do we bring common sense into that and how do we bring balance? Now, here's the extremes. Before we get into that, here's the extremes. Uh in the approaches to homelessness. One is to throw a bunch of money at it with a bunch of programs. And we'll talk why that's a problem. Another extreme is to pander to the homeless, those living on the streets, and to be trauma-informed. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And another extreme is to just make it illegal to be homeless. Again, we'll talk about that. None of these approaches by themselves is good. All, in fact, all these approaches by themselves is harmful. It does harm to those living on the streets. It does harm to our neighborhoods and to our cities and only exaggerates the problem. So let's talk about programs. That one extreme of dumping a bunch of money into the homeless problem and creating these massive programs on the federal level, state level, city level, and so on. Oregon, my home state, has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on homelessness only for the number of homeless people to quadruple. And yet they keep doing it. They keep passing budgets with 
hundreds of millions of more dollars. I believe the current, uh, uh, in the Portland metro area, $350 million towards homelessness, only for me to have watched it grown since that money has gone through. Anywhere you go that has a lot of homeless programs, you see a rise in the uh, number of homeless people, the number of people living on the streets. Why? Well, for one thing, programs are not people-centered, they're money-centered. And so they're not centered towards actually solving problems and helping with the person there to appease society, basically. And for politicians to say, hey, look, we're doing something about this problem. The second reason why uh, these programs often don't work is because programs do not address the actual causes. The causes are not lack of housing. Because all these individuals had housing at some point, or at least most of them. Uh, people say, well, the, the cause is drugs and addiction. Well, why do they have the addictions? Or the problem is they're not working. Well, why aren't they working? Or the problem is, and so on and so forth. And you always got to go deeper as to why is that thing. Keep asking the question why until you get to the actual root cause. Another reason why these programs are crippling to the homeless is because program-heavy states, states that have a lot of these big programs for homelessness, attract homeless from other states. So people will move to Oregon and places in California that's heavy in programs because of the programs. And then you just end up with more people in the end of it all. And fourth, and this is probably the most important reason why programs are harmful, is because program, these massive programs is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about small-time programs at the grassroots. These massive programs is, are harmful because they cannot cure the human heart. The human heart is given to addiction, is given to mental illness, is given to corruption, is given to sin— and the out, one of the outfalls of sin for many people is homelessness. And these massive programs, no matter how much money you throw into them, they cannot cure the human heart. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in his day, uh, in about the 5th century B.C., 6th century B.C., he was looking at the problems around Israel, all the fallout from Israel's sin, and Jeremiah lamented the human heart is desperately evil and beyond cure, who can understand its limits? You know, he, Jeremiah is just like, there's nothing you can do in the end. You can try to solve problems all you want, but it's the human heart that's the real problem, and it needs Christ in order to be healed and restored and to be able to live in an ordered way. If programs, then I ask, if programs are obviously these massive programs, I want to clear that up, are obviously not working, then why do we stay on the insane cycle of more money and more programs? It's insanity at this point. Uh, let's look at another extreme that we mentioned earlier, not just the massive programs, but the trauma-informed care. Now, I am not going to be very popular in what I'm about to say. I work in a field where it's preached heavily that 
to the nth degree, I mean, to the absolute nth degree, it's preached. Use trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care is where you, you word your language, form your voice and attitude in such a way as not to trigger people's traumas. Now, I'm just going to tell you that's an impossibility. You can give it your best shot, but I've triggered people, and they've just absolutely gone off the, the chain because I triggered them, and I'm left there thinking, I'm not even having a clue here what I did to trigger you. I was gentle. I was kind. I don't know what else to do. But that's the whole thing. It's that case managers, caseworkers, people working in the service industry have to form everything in such a way as to absolutely do nothing to offend, to, to trigger people. And, but the problem with this is that it enables people to continue their destructive behavior with no motivation for change. Now I'm not, not advocating. We start yelling at people. Okay. There was a commercial on television a few years ago about an army uh, or a drill sergeant becoming a therapist. The drill sergeant sergeant starts yelling at the client, you know, who's getting therapy is hilarious. Kind of proved a point about something, but I'm not advocating yelling at people and not, not being considerate towards people. You absolutely should be considerate towards people. But the problem with the whole trauma-informed care approach is that it enables people to continue their destructive behavior with no motivation for change. I'm going to tell you, the times I've changed in my life is when a friend had the guts to confront me and say, Michael, quit being a moron. (laughs) Quit doing the same thing, expecting different results. When my friends dared to confront me, and not in a mean way, but they confronted me very firmly, and they just said it the way it was, it woke me up and I made the proper changes I need to make. It motivated me to get going with my life. And two, what else happens is with these massive programs and trauma-informed care to the nth degree is that we make people too comfortable in their self-destructive lifestyle and so they have no impetus to change. Uh, I was thinking as I processed over this about the Native American vision quest, where somebody in the tribe was causing problems and having personal problems in their life, they were sent off to the forest to travel and walk and on these vision quests and without support. They just said, go, get out of here. Go figure out what's wrong. Get it corrected and come back as a productive member of the tribe. Yeah, that wasn't very trauma-informed. But it sure worked for a lot of people because sometimes as humans, we need a good shakeup in our life to get ourselves going and quit going in the wrong direction. And by the way, God does this with us. When we choose sinful, self-destructive behaviors, God does not offer us trauma-informed care. God offers us a way out through consequences. And by the way, God does not enact the consequences. The consequences come naturally. And I've been homeless in my life on a couple of occasions. And guess what? During those times, I asked myself the hard questions like, what, how did I get here? What could I have done differently? What am I going to do different in the future? It's a timeout, basically, for me to consider some things in my life. 
So if you choose to be a wife beater or a drug addict and the consequence is living on the streets and the elements, then maybe you should feel that for a while as a motivation to change your ways. I've had many individuals in my life in my service to the homeless where, man, they changed radically and became very productive members of society. And many of them told me, Michael, it was when I got sick of the rain every day, being soaked, got sick of the weather. I got sick of the insane cycle. I got sick of being living out in the mud. I decided, man, I got to do something different here. See, sometimes that's a motivation for change. And it's not a consequence we want to enact on people. It just becomes its own consequence sometimes because of our behaviors. And if our behaviors are causing negative consequences, then we don't want to, to take away those consequences. And we don't want to pander to people on those consequences. We want to be a friend to them. We want to treat them like we would want to be treated in that circumstance, but we don't want them to lose out on the lesson. I'm not saying keep people in homelessness. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to be able to speak to people in such a way as to say, look, think about your behavior and, and, and stop asking for a bailout. So basically these massive programs for many people are just bailouts and they avoid learning the lesson and the consequence. And again, not saying we don't help people up, but what I'm saying is we don't pander to people to the degree where they lose out. You know, I've been through many difficult times in my life, extremely dark moments. And I had wonderful friends who were there to encourage me through it, but they didn't fix all my problems for me. They didn't bail me out. And God's the same way. God doesn't bail us out. The reason why you have difficult moments sometimes in your life is because, one, of decisions that you've made, but the other is God allows it, and he doesn't bail you out necessarily because God wants you to learn the lesson and say, I want you to make different choices in your life. That's why sometimes we pray and we say, God, please get me out of this, and God says, no. Why? Because God's like, Michael, I've got a lesson that you need to learn, and I'm not backing off of this until you learn the lesson and then I will give you the relief you need from this because God's a loving father as the scriptures say just like our fathers who disciplined us for our good think of how much more good and loving is the discipline from God because God wants to save our souls and if we're being destructive in our behaviors God's like well here's the consequences buddy Let's grow up and get this figured out, you know, and sometimes the consequences, and I'm not saying God enacts them. Most consequences are just natural from the behavior. And God's like, hey, buddy, feel it. Feel that consequence for a while is a motivation to change and do the right thing. Now, trauma-informed care is necessary at times, in fact, God shows mercy to us very often. Could you imagine if God didn't show mercy, how bad our consequences really would be? But God shows us mercy often, but by itself, trauma-informed care is actually harmful, both to the caregiver and the one being cared for. And I know as a, as a uh, caseworker for many years that I suffer trauma by people abusing me as a caseworker. So in the trauma-informed care, there's a subconscious agreement that you can yell at me, but I can't defend myself. I can't. Now, I've had times where, you know, uh, I've told people you need to leave 
and come back when you're in a better mood and you're not going to be abusive to me. There's that. But in real life, people abuse us. And when they do, what do we do? We tell them to get lost. What happens is when enough people tells that individual to get lost, after a while they're like, oh man, everybody's abandoned me because I keep being a jerk. You know? And so then you stop being a jerk if you're wise enough. You see, so we got to be very careful that we're not pandering to people so much that they're losing out on the valuable lesson that they need to learn. But again, we show mercy in that. So the balance, again, we're all about balance. The balance in these massive programs, and I'll talk more about that later, is that we can back off a little bit and help people enough but not so much that they, they don't get the dignity of doing it themselves. The other is with trauma-informed care, we, don't, we show mercy and kindness to people, but we don't pander so much that they're, they're not given the opportunity to grow as an individual. The, the, a third extreme in homelessness is making homelessness illegal. This is kind of crazy, but it happens uh, in recent weeks, a mayor in California stated that his city had ended homelessness. What he did was made it illegal to be homelessness in that city in California. Uh, so what he did is he offered some money for services. But the deal was, if you are found sleeping on the streets, you have one of four options. Connect to services and get help. Or get a job. Or get lost get out of the city, or the fourth option was be arrested. Now, I see the reason and some value in this approach, but I do not see how it solves the problem. Those who left the city just went to other cities and created problems there. That's not loving your neighbor. So when you move people out of your city for being homeless, they just go to another city, cause the same problems. And so you're not loving your brother in the other city. You're just dumping your problems on him. That's not loving. So that approach doesn't work on so many levels by making it illegal to be homeless. Um, I know times when I was homeless, you know, I didn't want to be arrested for it. It's like I'm trying to get through this and I would have police roll up on me and I would just say, look, I'm doing my best right now. I've, and I would tell the police, here's what I'm doing to get out of the situation, now leave me alone because I'm doing my best. And I understand, you know, so if people are going to be arrested who are sleeping on the streets, they should be arrested for the same reason any citizen is arrested. They shouldn't be arrested specifically for being homeless. They should be arrested for drug use, drug dealing, fighting, those kinds of things. Littering, you know. Just like we get arrested for certain things in general society, they should be arrested for the same things, but not because they're homeless. And by the way, the problem with demanding that they get a job is that many cannot get a job. Or at least a job that would help get them off the streets. It takes an incredible amount of money to actually get off the streets. Uh, and I won't get into that day why I may do that sometime. So that's where a program may come into fruition is helping people make that leap. But don't do everything for them. Let them have the dignity of getting things solved themselves with some supports. 
But many cannot get a job. We have to realize the financial reality of getting off the streets. Well, maybe I will take a moment to explain it. Many people who are homeless are not starting at zero financially uh, when they get off the streets and then they need to, you know, move on from zero financially. No, a lot of them are in the negative column financially. They may have court fines. They may have debts from the past. They may have... You know, all kinds of issues, medical problems that needs dealt with that developed while they were living on the streets. They have no car, no home and all that. So they're actually starting in the negative category financially. So basically they need help getting to zero so they can actually begin making positive movement financially. And so to pay for deposits, screening application fees, uh, uh, and the, the deposits, if you have a criminal record, can be extremely high into the thousands. And then to pay the first and last month's rent, to find a car so you can get a job, to find a job that pays enough to pay all those bills, that's yeah, an incredible leap for those who are living on the streets. So that's where we can come along and say, we'll help you with that front end stuff so you can actually make that leap. And by the way, getting arrested for living on the streets... For being homeless just creates a criminal record and further hardship towards getting a job. So it's really not beneficial. Remember, not everyone is homeless for the same reason. I mean, many women are homeless because they escaped an abusive partner. Uh, so many are homeless because they, as children, were in the, in the foster care system and they graduated out of the foster care system, meaning that they graduated from high school, turned 18, and never were adopted. And the foster homes can be positive places, but a lot of times they're very dark and negative and abusive places. And so these <coughs> many people, excuse me, many people uh, on the streets who graduate a foster care system were never taught the very basics of life. I like one homeless woman, I had invited her to a party with some friends of mine and we had cake there and I said, Hey, will you cut the cake? And she freaked out. She had no idea how to cut a cake, never taught the very basics of cutting a cake, you see. And so remember everyone's not homeless for the same reason. Some are homeless because of divorce. Some are homeless because of a loss of job and they could never gain another job to keep paying their bills and everything spiraled out of control. Some it's addiction, some it's mental illness, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why people are homeless. So we've got to be very careful uh, that we have a balanced approach. So with all that in mind, then what is the solution to homelessness? The solution is wisdom and balance. Wisdom and balance. The best approach to homelessness is love and wisdom. This leads to the real solutions. Putting love uh, together, uh, putting love and wisdom together allows for mercy and accountability. You see, we should strive to engage those on the streets to be productive members of society. That, that's what we want for them. I want you to come join us again. Come be a productive member of society again, not drainers of society. There's nothing wrong with people earning their housing, just like we all have to. But here's the balance. They earn it, their housing through work, and we help remove obstacles to that. 
because many of them have big obstacles to that. So we help remove the obstacles, but still allow them the space to earn it themselves. That brings, that's dignity for them. Uh, housing first. Now there's this housing first approach. Every agency uses it. Every huge program uses it. Reason why is because President Obama enacted that. President Obama uh, enacted a lot of of uh, money. He released a bunch of money for ten years, and we're at the ten year mark this year in 2023. He released a bunch of money for ten years for homelessness solutions. But the caveat was you had to agree to the housing first model, which means no matter what, you get people housed first, and then after that, you deal with jobs and, you know, whatever else. And that works for some people, but for a lot of people, it just does not work because they're not ready to move from the streets into traditional housing and to deal with having neighbors and all that. So some people need phased into traditional housing through transitional housing and different things of that nature. But it is a federal funding requirement, and it doesn't work for most people that I have worked with because they're just not ready. So they need to take steps towards that because many people have been homeless for 20 years. They don't know how to deal with neighbors and how not to be loud at 2 o'clock in the morning and not be slamming doors and cabinets and all that. They don't know how to pay utilities on time and rent on time. So we got to phase them into housing so they can learn those steps along the way. So then once they get a traditional place to live, then they're ready to be a good neighbor. It's not that they're being a bad neighbor. They're just not being a functional neighbor necessarily jumping right from 20 years living in a homeless camp, right into a traditional place to live. Now, so as we close out today, let's talk about this. How do you deal with those who are living on the streets in your neighborhood. How do you deal with homelessness in your neighborhood? There's nine ways I wrote down here. One is just get to know them first. Get to know them as a human being. Second, journey with them. Journey with them. Walk with them through the process. None of us likes to go alone through a difficult journey. And to get off the streets... And to become a productive member of society is a difficult journey, especially if you have addictions attached to it or mental illness attached to it. So journey with them, walk with them. Don't make them go it alone. Third, create opportunities for them to work and be productive. Maybe you could say, hey, we're going to have you clean up the empty lots in our neighborhood. Some of the empty lots in our neighborhood have trash on them. Will you clean them up? And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll provide the hauling service, but you just clean it up and make that empty lot look beautiful. And we'll, as a neighborhood association, pay you to do that. And we'll record that so that when you go look for jobs, you have a job history. Say, yes, that person worked for our neighborhood association cleaning up things, you know, and they did it good. They showed up on time every day. They worked hard at it and they did a great job and we got great results out of their work. See, create opportunities for them to work and be productive. Uh, connect them to vital services, do your research, learn where the vital services are, maybe such as services that help them get their ID or their driver's license or pays off past driver's license fines so they can get their driver's license back services that help them with counseling, uh, all kinds of things. 
The fifth way to deal with homelessness in your neighborhood is create boundaries in your neighborhood that they have to observe or be set on. Now, I know this kind of contradicts something I said earlier about not, you know, loving your brother, but I don't know what consequences other than that you could enact by saying, here's the deal. There's boundaries in our neighborhood. There's quiet hours in our neighborhood. There's hours we're not, you know, uh, screaming and yelling. There's hours that we're not playing loud music in our neighborhood. There's we're not drug dealing in our neighborhood. We're not throwing trash on the ground in our neighborhood. And therefore, uh, you know, uh, uh, creating boundaries for them to observe as well and say, you're part of our neighborhood. Here's the boundaries. Here's the consequences and be creative with consequences, but don't be dictatorial at the same time. Number six. Uh, set those boundaries. Six, I'm breaking five down a little bit further. So here's some boundaries you could create in your neighborhood. They cannot, people on the streets cannot look through the recycle bins unless the recycle bin is by the street. So if they want to look for bottles and cans, whatever might be of value to them to exchange for cash, they just say, it's okay for you to look through the recycle bins as long as it's on the street. Cannot come on somebody's property and look through the recycle bin. Has to be out by the street and you can't dump things on the street. If something drops on the street from the recycle bin, you have to put it back in. You're not going to make a mess. Next, they cannot leave garbage laying around. I mean, have you seen tents, groups of tents in a homeless camp where there's an insane amount of garbage? Um, just say you can't do that. Maybe, you know, we'll say you have to bag up the garbage, keep it in a certain spot. We'll come by, pick it up and haul it off at some point. But you can't just leave garbage strewn about everywhere. And again, boundaries. Clean up the neighborhood and we'll pay you some cash for it. Observe quiet hours, things like that. Number seven, dealing with homelessness in your neighborhood. Number seven, petition the city to fund services through the neighborhoods and not through the city. So in other words, tell the city, we want you as city officials to back off, quit funding homelessness solutions. Let us do it as neighborhoods. You fund our neighborhood association so we can do that. What that does is it provides accountability and allows creativity within the city. Number eight, have limited funds for services through the city. And maybe those funds could be used for things like this. The homeless can do public work for money until they have a regular job. So, for example, back in the days of the Great Depression, 1929, a lot of our dams and a lot of our roads got built by the government paying people because jobs were just nowhere to be found. So the government paid people to build the roads and bridges and all that. And people learned skills from that. And we're able to continue paying their bills. So maybe have limited funds through the city. Say, hey, you're going to trim the public trees in the city. You're going to clean up the streets in the city. You're going to clean the sidewalks. You're going to do different things in exchange for money from the city. That way they can keep a job history going and be productive members of society. And then finally, number nine, invite those who are homeless to neighborhood meetings. Invite them to neighborhood meetings. 
So you have neighborhood meetings, and if they're in your neighborhood, say, hey, come be part of the meeting. We want your input. That gives them dignity and also gives you wisdom and insights to what's really going on. So see, there's the balanced approach, love and wisdom. There's love and accountability and wisdom and all of that. And so we've got to make sure we don't swing one way or the other in a dramatic way, but keep that beautiful middle, that beautiful balance. Love and wisdom are the perfect balance. Too many social justice projects are too much into romantic love (laughs) with no wisdom. Real love and real wisdom are the perfect balance. I was thinking of one imbalance is where uh, programs now are providing clean needle sites to drug addicts to shoot up at these clean sites. How are people ever supposed to get help getting off drugs if we're just feeding them with free drugs? That's not helpful. But then there's the other end where we're so dominating and swearing and cussing at homeless people and just just pushing them completely away. How are they ever supposed to feel accepted? And, you know, because just as consequences can be a motivation to change, grace, mercy and love can be a more powerful motivation to change. If you want to see a real solution to homelessness, then strike that beautiful balance right where you are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.